Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. Have your Bibles, you go ahead and turn it to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Second part of what we began last week, talking about walking with God. How do we walk with God? Now, I want to ask you a question. How did you do on your assignment we gave you last week? How did y'all do on the assignment we gave you last week? Everybody look at me, all right? How'd you do on that? Now, some of you look like the child who was given a test or had to turn in homework and they forgot they were supposed to do it. Were any of you that way? Any of you forgot what you're supposed to be doing? If you remember, what we were focusing on is we needed to begin to practice repentance. You remember that? We need to begin to practice repentance. Not only confession of our sin, but to turn and to walk a different way. I'll tell you, this week, Holy Spirit's convicted me many times about the need to repent. That what I said, what I did, what I was thinking was the wrong thing and needed to change and therefore had to take a about face and go the opposite direction. Whenever you really are serious about your walk with God and how close you are to God, you're going to be very sensitive about this matter of repenting. Why is that? Because of the principle that we talked about last week. We share with you a principle that is found three places in God's Word. Now, the Bible says it once, it's important. Amen? It says it twice. You ought to memorize it. It says it three times. It ought to be on the doorpost of your house because God's trying to get your attention. And three times in God's Word, it gives this principle, that God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. God is opposed or resisted the proud but gives grace to the to the humble. Therefore, if we're going to walk with God, we're going to have to have a humble spirit. But if we have a prideful spirit, we're not going to walk with God because it says that he is opposed to us. Remember we talked about that. That's a military term. It means to draw up battle lines against us. And and if God draws up battle lines against us, I'm here to tell you, you're not going to go any further. Because the all-powerful God, you're not going to make any headway whenever he draws up that line against you. And he's never going to change What you have to do is you have to change. And that's where that idea of repentance comes in, that that if you're in opposition to him and if he is in opposition to you, you're never going to go any further unless you turn and you walk the opposite direction, which is with him, and you begin to experience his greater grace. And we all want to be in that greater grace. We talked about why does God oppose pride because in his word, remember in Proverbs chapter six, it shared with us that God hates seven things. And the first of those things is a haughty look or a prideful eye. It's that, it's that pride in our heart. Why does he hate it so much? Because it caused Lucifer to fall, to become old Satan. It caused Adam and Eve to fall. It causes every one of us to fall. It's the very reason that many of us do not get saved or come to a relationship with God because of the pride of our heart and life. You understand why God would hate that and why God would oppose that, but he wants to give greater grace to his children. And remember that these principles we talked about, this principle was written to children of God, not to the lost world. 
It was in James and 1 Peter. And, and those were written to the church. Those were written to us as Christians. So that means that sinful pride can be a part of our lives even though we're saved, even though we're headed for heaven, even though Jesus lives in our life. That we still have to deal with this issue of pride. And if we have that sinful pride in our life, God is going to resist us. Even though we are his children, he will resist us not because he doesn't like us, but because he loves us. He loves us so much that he is not going to bless our sin and to bless our pride in our heart. Now, last week, whenever we went through this, I could tell most of you felt pretty comfortable because you felt like, well, I must be talking to somebody else, not you. Because you felt pretty good that pride certainly was not one of your problems or, or one of your sins that you had to deal with. But you knew there were other people in the congregation who needed that. So you were glad I preached it. So I shared with you last week that in case you feel like that it's not applicable to you or it doesn't apply to you in any way, I wanted to give you a test, right, this week. Now, some people were too afraid to show back up for the test. But I'm glad that you're here, amen? And this test is going to be for you to be able to ask the question, do I have an issue with pride? Could pride be a part of my life? And and could it be evident in my life, which means that God would have to oppose me as his child? We're going to give you that test. It's found here in Luke chapter 18. And it's actually a parable that Jesus tells. Now, stop there for just a minute. Before we get to the parable, let's talk about parables. What are parables for and why were they used? Well, parables are used so that a truth can be presented without somebody that applies to being offended or having to defend themselves while it's being told, right? In other words, it's a story that applies to somebody that they don't know it applies to them. So, so they're going to respond to the story, and then eventually they'll find out that it, it applies to them. Let me give you an example of that. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, it's where Nathan comes and confronts David after David has committed sin with Bathsheba and then has ended up killing Uriah. You remember that story, uh, uh, the worst time in David's life. The prophet Nathan comes to David and tells him a parable. He tells him about two men. One's a rich man and one's a poor man. Rich man had many, many sheep and many herds. That poor man had only one little ewe lamb. But whenever the rich man, and he loved that ewe lamb just like a child, when the rich man had a guest who came into his home, instead of him killing one of his many sheep or herd, he goes and takes that one poor man's ewe lamb and takes it and slaughters it and feeds his company. Whenever David hears that, David becomes so angry that he says, that man should die. And at least that man is going to pay back what was owed fourfold. He was so angry at what he heard that that man had done when Nathan pointed his finger to him and he said, you are the man. You are the man who did that. You see what a parable is all about? See, it's a story so that it applies and, and, you, and you, you respond to it and all of a sudden you find out, hey, that may be me. So Jesus tells this parable in Luke chapter 18 about that. But hold on a second. There's something else very unusual about this parable that Jesus tells. Before he ever tells the parable recorded in God's word is who he intends it for. And at the end of the parable, he tells the reason that he gives the parable. Now, he didn't do that in many of his parables. 
Many of his parables he would, he would tell and, and leave the interpretation of what it might be. Matter of fact, his disciples would come along sometimes like the, the parable of the souls. You remember that? And he told the parable, and later those disciples came and said, what does that mean? Tell us, what does that mean? Well, not in this particular parable. He's going to let us know who's it for and the purpose of it before he ever gets into the fact of the parable. Look there in verse number 9 of Luke 18. Listen to what it says. And Jesus also told this parable, now here's who it's for, to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So he tells us who it's for. He's, He's talking about people who trust in themselves, that they're righteous, they view other people with contempt. He's describing who it is. And then at the end of the parable in verse 14, the last part of verse 14, it tells you why the parable is given. It says, for everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. So what's the purpose of it? He's saying, if you exalt yourself, what's that another word for? Pride. If you exalt yourself and you have that sinful pride in your life, you shall be humble. But if you humble yourself, you shall be, by God, exalted. Exact same principle, isn't it? So we know that this parable is talking to certain ones who viewed themselves as righteous, viewed others with contempt. That's a person with pride. And the purpose of it is to help us to understand that if we'll humble ourselves, he'll exalt us. But if we exalt ourselves and we have sinful pride in our life, that God's purpose and God's plan is to humble us. So there's no doubt what the parable is about. You don't have to wonder about that. It's dealing with this issue of pride and humility. So let's take this test. I, I simply want to Read it to you, and then we'll look at it and look at the two people who are involved in it. There in verse number 9. And he also told this parable to certain ones who trusted themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was thus praying to himself. God, I thank thee that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers are even like this old tax gatherer. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Two men in this story, one a Pharisee, the other a tax gatherer who was called a publican. These two men represent each of those attitudes and spirits. One is going to represent pride, and the other is going to represent humility. So first of all, we want to look at the Pharisee who's going to represent pride for us. And I hope you'll take notes. You need to write this down in your Bible somewhere or in your notes. You're going to need this, okay? If you don't need it today, you're going to need it sometimes, I promise you. And it wouldn't hurt you to look at it quite often to find out, hey, are these some of the 
my characteristic in my life because I want to give you four characteristics of pride. And then we're going to flip it over because the opposite side of pride is humility. They can't exist at the same time. You either have pride or you have humility. And I, I want you to see four characteristics of each of those, okay? First of all, let's take pride in the person of the Pharisee. The first characteristic of pride is pride will not admit that it has a need. Pride will not admit that it has a need. You see that in the Pharisee. The Pharisee says what? He does, whenever he prays in the temple, he doesn't say one word about one need that he has. You hear him say, help me with this, or I have a need for this, or I'm a sinner, or I, I need your mercy. God. You hear him say anything about that? He says absolutely nothing about that because he doesn't think he has a need. He doesn't think he has a need at all, but rather he tells God about how lucky God is to have him on his team. That's what, that's what he says. That's what he says right there. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I know you got problems with everybody else, but God, I, I, aren't you glad to have me on your team? <laughs> I, I don't have any needs in my life. I don't have anything about it. I, I'm, I, I'm perfectly fine. I will not admit that I have a need. Pride will not admit its need. Now, I know this is Father's Day, and I'm not preaching a Father's Day message, but hold on, man. Look at me just a second. Uh, this is probably as good a message to men as any message you could possibly preach. Because let's just be honest. I'll play like the women are here for just a minute. We men, we have a problem with pride. We have a problem with pride. We have a problem admitting we have needs. We have a problem acknowledging that in our life, even before Almighty God. And be careful in your life that you act as though you don't have a need or live as though you don't have a need or won't acknowledge your need because that is pride in your life. And it says that, that he was talking to those people, he's talking to Pharisees, he's talking to anybody else, who were, who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous. You know what it means that somebody thinks they're righteous? It means they're right in everything. They're right in everything. They're right in everything. That means they don't have a need. So pride will not admit it has a need. Second thing, if pride ever does admit that it has a need, that's hard. But if pride will ever admit that it has a need, here it is. It believes it can meet its own need. It believes it can meet its own need. And he says that. He says, listen, God. He says, I know that I thank you. I'm not like other people. He says, let, let me tell you what I do. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes of all that I get. Man, if you fast twice a week and you're tithing to the church, surely you're meeting all the needs that you ever would have. No, I'm sorry to tell you. You can give, you can give 90% instead of 10%. That's not going to make you right, okay? <laughs> and you can attend church every day, every day the doors open or you can fast twice a week. That does not make you right. You cannot make yourself right. Now, it says that those, there were certain people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Who are they trusting in? God? No, they're trusting in themselves because they think they can meet their own needs. If there is a little need, a, a little weakness in their life, 
they can work hard enough to meet that need. They don't have to turn to God. They don't have to turn to anybody else. They can meet their own need. Let me tell you, that's not going to happen. You cannot meet your own need. You cannot make yourself righteous. There's only one who makes you righteous, and that's the righteous one, the Lord Jesus. Amen? And and I'm telling you, you can beat your head against the wall all day long, but you're never going to make yourself righteous. You can never meet your own need. That's what God has to do. It reminds me of whenever I was in school. When When I was in school, I don't know what they do these days. When I was in school, one of the punishments that you would have And it really wasn't a punishment. I I thought my teacher just really had thought I was her pet and favorite. But but one of the things that they would do is if they caught you talking, they would make you write out on the piece of paper, I will not talk. Did you ever have to do that? I will not talk. I will not talk. Well, I had to do that quite a few times. I knew she loved me and she wanted me to be good at penmanship. And and so I, I know that was an exercise just for me. So she gave it to me. I will not talk. I can still remember to this day there were 26 lines on a page. You know how I can remember that? Because I knew how many pages you had to do to get 100. (laughs) Right, 100 times. I I even knew how to do it in mass production. I didn't go, I will not talk. I went, I I will, 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 not, not, not. Some of you did the same thing, didn't you? You did the same thing. But here was the problem. I would turn in that paper... And go sit down and talk. And she'd look at me and say, you get to do it again. I don't know how many I will not talks I did, but I did a lot of I will not. But it never kept me from talking. That's exactly the way it is about pride. You can get up every day and say, I'm going to be better. I'm going to be better. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be better. And I'm here to tell you it's not going to help. The only one who can change you is God, amen? And he changes you because you realize you're going the wrong direction. You turn and go the right direction. Here's the third characteristic of pride. Pride views others with contempt. It views others with, listen listen to that Pharisee. Pharisee stood and said, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other men. I thank thee that I'm not a swindler or I'm unjust or I'm an adulterer. Or even like this old tax gatherer, this old publican who here's beside me praying. Thank you, God, I'm not like them. What was he doing? He was looking down his nose at other people. Looking down his nose at other people. Being critical of other people. Thinking he's better than someone else. Listen to me. If ever in your life... And ever in your practice, in your daily living, you find yourself thinking you're better than somebody else. I don't care who that somebody is. If you think you're better than somebody else and you find yourself looking down your nose at somebody else, that's pride in your heart. That's pride in your life. That's certainly not the humility of Christ. Whenever Jesus went to the cross to die for every wretched sinner, the worst of the worst He died for because he was more interested in them than in him. But pride looks down your nose at other people. Oh, how many of us, how many of us can be critical? How many of us can can think we're better than somebody else? How many of us hold people at arm's distance? Oh, we're children of God. 
We're loved by Jesus. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're all that. And we still do that because pride is in our heart and in our life. Here's the fourth characteristic. Fourth characteristic is pride is more concerned about what people think than what God thinks. Pride is far more interested in what people think than what God thinks. I want you to notice something in this passage. Please don't miss it. It's very important. Whenever the Pharisee stands to pray in verse 11, it says, The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself. (laughs) Did you hear that? He was praying to who? Thus to himself. Let me tell you a little, little secret. Make a little footnote there in your notes. If you're praying to yourself, you're not going to get much done. Isn't that true? If you're praying to yourself, you're not going to get much done. He's not praying interested in what God is saying, interested in what God is thinking. If he, if he was interested in what God was thinking, he would do it far differently. He stood up to pray. So that everybody could see him pray. He stood up to pronounce the fact he tied twice a week. And he, I mean, he tied and he fasted twice a week. And that he was a good and righteous man. He was trying to impress people more than he was impressing God. And if you find yourself more interested in what people think about you than what God thinks about you, that is pride. That's pride. Let me say it again. If you find yourself more interested in what people think about you than what God thinks about you, that is pride. And we can see that evident in the church right here. Now, let's just be honest, okay? All right, y'all be honest. Shake your head. This means yes, we'll be honest for just a minute. We're going to be honest for just a minute. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt prompted to do something in worship, like lift your hands, like clap, do say amen, say hallelujah, do something else. And, and all of a sudden comes over you, you realize, I better not do that. Think about it. I better not do that. What will somebody think? What will somebody say about me? Do you realize when that crept into your heart and mind that that was pride? Because you were more interested in what somebody might think about your action of worship than you were about what God would think as you're worshiping him. Right here in church, we have pride. Or what about when the invitation happens and and you're beckoned to come forward and make a decision and God's convicted your heart. You know that you're wrong. You know you need to make it right. You know that God's calling you there. And you sit there and say, I'm not going to go because if I go down there, people will be wondering what's wrong with me. People will be wondering what, what, what's my problem. If that ever creeps into your mind, do you realize that's pride? Because you're interested in what somebody else thinks rather than what God thinks. When God's spirit convicted your heart. What about witnessing? You're supposed to go out and tell somebody about Jesus. Is it ever creeping in your heart? Man, what will they think about me? What would they think about me? Well, I, I, might, I might offend them or something. You're more concerned about the person's feelings than you are that God commanded you to go and witness. Or what about the using of your gifts, that God's given you a gift to use, and you're supposed to use that ministry, and you say, I can't do that because I might not be good at it, or people not, might not like the way I do that. Any time in your life something creeps into your heart, even self-consciousness, where I'm too embarrassed to say, I'm, I'm too shy to go do that. 
because that shyness is all, it is all just a covering of your self-awareness and your pride. Because you're concerned about what somebody else is going to think. What does God think? That's what matters. What does God think? Because one day you're going to stand before Almighty God. You're going to stand before any of these people. And not a one of them going to be standing as judge over you, but he will. So what matters most is what he says. But pride keeps us always thinking about what other people might think. What other people might think. Those are the four characteristics of pride. You got them, right? Won't admit a need. If he ever does admit a need, I can meet my own need. View other people with contempt. And more interested in what people think than what God thinks. That's the old Pharisee. And he didn't get much done. You'll find out in a minute the results of his journey to church that day. You'll find out about his journey to church. And, and, and he didn't get anything accomplished about his life. But then we find on the flip side, the opposite side of that coin, we find the publican, the tax gatherer. And he is a picture of humility. He's a picture of you. So what is humility? Well, it's pretty, pretty obvious. Humility is the very opposite of what pride is, right? They're opposite of one another. So what does humility do? Humility readily admits its need. Humility readily admits its need. Listen, listen to the publican right here. He begins to talk in verse 13. But the tax gatherer standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. But was beating his breast saying, God be merciful to me. Here's the word, the sinner. You know what he says? I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Whenever you say you're a sinner, that admits you've got a need. You've got sin in your life that you can't do anything about. You've got sin in your life that hinders you some way and somehow. You are a sinner. You admit that you have a need. When's the last time you told somebody you were a sinner? I, I, here's another exercise. Just, just this week, you probably won't do this one either, but, but this is another exercise a week. Every morning when you get up and you look in the mirror, I want you to look in the mirror and I want you to say this, I'm a sinner, okay? Let's all practice that together, all right? One, two, three, I'm a sinner. Get used to it. You are. When's the last time you said, I'm a sinner? Yeah, we don't walk around saying that. But let me tell you something, you need to realize that you are. There's not a day goes by, there's not a day goes by that you do not sin. You can stay in bed all day and sin, because you probably weren't supposed to be in bed all day, right? Man, you got sins you can commit and sins you're not supposed to be doing, you're doing things you shouldn't do and not doing some things you're supposed to be doing. I'm here to tell you, you can sin, and we do. But we have practiced so much not acknowledging that that we've forgotten that we're sinners and we're forgotten that we need to admit our need and need for God to forgive us each and every day and cleanse us of our life. Well, if you have humility of heart, you admit readily that you're a sinner. Second thing, second thing, you realize you cannot meet your own need. Humility acknowledges I can't beat my need. I can't change a sinner. I can't make a sinner righteous. Listen to the old publican there in verse 13. He says, God be merciful to me. God be merciful. What's he doing? He's saying, God, I cannot do it. I can't help myself. I can't make myself righteous. 
So he's turning to God and asking God to show his mercy and to change him because he cannot change himself. That's where we all are. Whenever we're sinners, we have to say, God, be merciful to me. God, show your mercy. God, thank you for Jesus who died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. Thank you, God, because I cannot meet my own need, but you can and you willingly did at the cross. Third thing, humility never views another with contempt. Let me show you two things about that in verse 13. The first thing I want you to see is the very last phrase, God be merciful to me, the sinner. You ought to circle the word the. That's the definite article. Y'all remember that in English? That's the definite article, the, but in Greek, it's far more important. There are no indefinite articles in Greek. You can just put a or an wherever you want to, but when it gives you the definite article, it means it's important. And literally what he's saying right here is, I'm not just a sinner, I am the sinner. Or it's much like the apostle Paul said, I am the worst of sinners. In other words, whenever he's talking about sin, this publican is not looking around and saying, well, I'm better than that one and I'm better than this one and I thank God I didn't do that and I'm not wretched like that one. He's not saying, he said, I'm the worst of sinners. I'm the worst of sinners. And, and notice, notice not only what he says, but also his, his very disposition. Back up a little bit in verse 13. It says he was standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. In other words, he wasn't looking down his nose at anybody else. Because all he, when he looked down his nose, all he saw was dirt. All he saw was the ground. Because he was unwilling to lift up his eyes to see anybody else. He wasn't focused on anybody else's sin and contempt on anybody else. He was held himself in contempt because he was a sinner. And he didn't look down. Let me tell you something. When God helps us to realize how wretched we are and how much we need the mercy of God and how we don't have any, we won't be talking about anybody else. We'll be too busy trying to straighten out what's going on in our own hearts and lives. Amen? We won't have time to do that. If you got time to sit up on an ivory tower and be critical of somebody else, you just really don't realize what's going on in your own heart, your own life. Because pride will view with contempt, but humility never views another with contempt. Final thing. Hold on a second. Pride was more interested in what people thought than what God thought. Humility is more interested in what God thinks than what people think. What about this publican? It says he gets up there and he cries out. He's he's, he's in the temple now. They're praying. He and the Pharisee are praying. And this old publican standing some distance away there in that temple. He he feels, I'm sure he feels wretched. He doesn't feel like he can come close to to the presence of God. He stands some distance away, but he cries out. He wants others to hear. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. God, Be merciful to me, the sinner. Now, is that what you'd be saying to impress somebody? Y'all go to the, well, you can't go to the mall anymore, but the next time you can go to the mall, just run out in the middle of the mall and say, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Just go do that. See how many people are impressed. I'm sure they'll be called the security guard to usher you out. You don't do that to impress people. But you do that to impress God. 
For he was more concerned about what God thought than what people thought. And don't you know there were people in the temple that day going, listen to that old guy, man. He's crying out, crying himself. Don't you know they were talking about it? He didn't care. He didn't care. All he cared was that he was getting through to God. And you know what? He did. Because you have the picture of pride in the Pharisee and you have the picture of humility in the publican. And you don't have to wonder, you don't have to wonder about how God feels about it. Because Jesus tells you. Look there in verse 14. I tell you, this man, the old publican, went down to his house justified. Hold on a second. That's what we want. Amen? We want to be just. We want to be just in the sight of God. We we want God to pronounce upon us that we are just and we are justified. The old publican who has a picture of humility, Jesus says, not you don't have to wonder about somebody else, Jesus says that old publican who begged for God's mercy, who had a humility of heart, went down to his house changed. He went to his house changed. He met with God. God made him right and made him righteous and he was justified. That's what you want to get when you leave church, Amen. You want to leave church changed. You want to leave church justified. You want to leave church in right relationship with God. That's what the publican did. Hold on a second. Look at verse 14. He went down to his house justified rather than the other. The other was who? The Pharisee. And what does it say? He went down not justified. He, he left church unchanged. He went home the same way he came. All of his exercise, all of his praying to himself, all of his impressing other people, all of him thinking he can meet his own needs, got nothing done at all. He went home unchanged. But that's not all. Based on the principle of God's word, he went home Still with God opposing him. Still with God opposing him. That's why Jesus gives you these words in 14. For everyone who exalts himself has pride in their heart, shall be humbled one day. But he who humbles himself like the publican, God has promised he will exalt him or give to him a greater grace. Now, question, how you doing? How'd you do on that test? Y'all want to turn your papers in? How did you do on that test? Could there be any could there be any sense in your life that maybe you struggle with pride more than you thought? More pride is a part of your existence than what you realize. And maybe that's why you're not moving forward in your relationship with God and walking with God like you want to. 
We have to have humility of heart. We've got to learn. We've got to learn how to admit our need. Amen. We've got to learn we can't meet our own need. We've got to stop looking at other people. You and other people with content. We've got to be more concerned about what God thinks than what people think. We've got to have those qualities in our lives so that we can be justified and just and right in walking in the grace of God. Now, I don't know where you are. I know it convicts my heart. I told you last week. Listen, I'm not sitting here as judge over you. I have, I have such a problem with pride in my life. I wake up every morning and it's rebirth. I can crucify it one day and he's back alive the next day. You know, ever have that problem? I, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to all of us. But if we're going to experience the greater grace of God, we're going to have to learn to walk in humility. Amen. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.